art we truly believe instills that pride in community is truly empowering when our children understand the transformative powers of art and how arts can change not only their lives but their families' lives and in their community. That's Inamdi Chukwocha. He and his twin brother Albert Mills are the Poets Laureate of Delaware. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Identical twins, Anandi Chukwocha and Albert Mills, known as the Twin Poets, are spoken word artists who have performed both nationally and internationally. They've been featured on Deaf Poetry, and they're the subject of a documentary called Why I Write. But the twins' primary focus remains on the children of underserved communities in Delaware, especially in their hometown of Wilmington. The twins have chosen to serve that community as social workers working with children to keep them out of trouble and off the streets, as well as advocating for them in the juvenile justice system if they do run into trouble with the law. The twins see poetry as a potent tool to combat the ills they find around them, ills like gun violence, drugs, and poverty. And poetry is also a way they can break through to the kids who have grown up accustomed to the cadences of rap and hip-hop. The twin poets often combine performances with workshops, working with the kids and urging them to write, to express themselves and to examine their lives through art. Anamdi and Al have received many awards for their work, including the Mayor's Award for Service to Children, Mentors of the Year from the City of Wilmington, and the Christie Award for Community Service Through the Arts. But for all their accolades, nothing prepared them to be named Poets Laureate of Delaware. Al Mills remembers the phone call. Our, our governor, uh, Jack Markell, who is a poet himself, asked, would we be interested? And, you know, after I picked myself up off the floor, I, I immediately called my brother and, and shared the news and it was emphatic, yes, we, we would definitely be interested to, to carry this mantle for, for the art form we love for our state, to advocate for the arts and literature and writing. And, and it, it was such a great honor. You're identical twins. You're very close, but you have different last names. And I'm going to take a wild guess here and say, Nanamdi, you changed yours. Yes, I did. I changed my name. Our, our father passed away in 1990, and I changed my name to honor our father. Anamdi is actually a, a Nigerian Igbo name, and it means that my father's within me. Oh, that's very nice. You were born and raised in Wilmington, Delaware. What was Wilmington like when you were kids? This is Al. Very nice, fun place. I mean, I, we have great memories of our childhood. You know, from going to the to the parks and you know, the, you know, the summer programs, and so it, it, it was a wonderful place. I mean, it's it, far cry from uh, the violence-filled streets that 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 we unfortunately live in today. I mean, it, as kids, we were able to play touch football on the street, hide and go seek, and do all the wonderful kid things. I mean, without a fear. Anomaly speaking, yeah, I would def definitely agree. I mean, it, it was inner city living at its best from our library systems to just being able to walk through the park and, and find a creek and, and searching for crayfish. And it was just a, a great experience and having the opportunity to, to live in such a small city. I mean, it was city living, but it was still pretty laid back. Both your parents were active in the community. Your father, in fact, was a very influential community leader in Wilmington. Your grandmother took in foster children. I mean, they were very deeply rooted in the community. And you've made your life's work building that community through your careers, both as social workers and as poets. 
and Namdi speaking, I mean, it's just our way of life. I, I couldn't imagine anything else. This is who we are. Our family is community. We're, we're community, you know, and, and it's just, it's that simple. You know, I, I, our grandmother, our father, and our mother in their work, they were the greatest, they were the greatest social workers we ever met. I mean, my grandmother could could stop a child crying just by the touch of her hand. It, I mean, it was like a miracle in just that love that, that she displayed in, in, in everything she did. I mean, we, we felt like we've inherited a great legacy and it would be selfish of us to try to turn our back on it and, and abandon this, this obligation to our community. Now, you both became social workers and you both work with kids. Can you explain to people who might not know Wilmington very well what kids in Wilmington face today? Namdi speaking, we have a, a city that that's, has some struggles, well, some, some pockets of struggles. Many of our communities and the perceptions of our community in general is that we're really being hampered greatly by the violence associated with drug activity that runs, of course, up and down our, our region and right through many of our neighborhoods on 95. So there's, there's a lot of uh, violence. Our city has some very low-performing schools. We have many, many vacant properties, just an array of issues. I mean, I guess if, if, if you look at all of the, the ways in which poverty affects the community and impacts the life of a child, it's clear many of those are evident in Wilmington. Well, the community in which you work can be the subject of some of your poems. May we hear one? Sure. Inner city disease. A young man was one of my brother's clients and he told my brother he was sick of the streets. And it made me think of, of what's happening to our children, almost like they were under a petri dish. And you were looking at this illness of our, our community. And this was what came from, from that poem, Inner City Disease. Little kids try to live their life all nice and clean. But the inner, inner city, city is gritty and the dirt gets all, all in between. between. Their self-respect and their self-esteem. And by the time they're 13, they've given up on their hopes and their dreams willing to settle for whatever life brings, wasting time chasing, chasing shiny, shiny things. Hard for him to sleep at night because of the screams. He hasn't even seen 16, yet he done seen some things that'll turn a preacher into a fiend. And you can look in his eyes and you can see that he's scared, cause tomorrow's coming and he know he's not, not prepared. prepared. His future looks blank like, like them tees that he wear. And to him, God is just like his father. He's, he's never, never been, been there. there. He's never felt his hand. He lives his life like a cell phone, doesn't have any plan. Just running, running circles and gimmicks. The race starts. And it's finished. He gets caught and sentenced, labeled a menace, but really just a troubled teen who has trouble sleeping because he dreams of a father he's never, never seen. seen. So he stays up late trying to make that cream. His fate a is a murder scene. scene. Then it's another murder, another family having another funeral, another mother passing out having spasms. spasms. I swear if you sit quietly in the church, you can hear the, the devil, devil laughing. That's a powerful poem. Thank, Thank you. How does poetry help you when you're dealing with the kids that you're trying to help? Al speaking. It's a number of different ways poetry helps. One, expression, that, that key, getting kids to be able to express their emotions. You know, So rather than me going to get in a fight or rather me cursing at my sister or, or in some houses cursing at my mother, I'm able to learn how to channel my, my anger and my frustration 
be it me putting it into a poem or, or, or me just venting, me starting the journaling process to be able to help myself or a young lady who's going through a lot, you know, f before she gets depressed for her to be able to, you know, start writing and putting her thoughts down and her, her frustrations on, on paper rather than, than taking them out on herself. You know, I had a, a young lady just, just last night, we were, were speaking at a group home and, and she said, and the, the poem was, I do this instead of cutting my wrist, you know? And this, that, that's what the poem, she was just saying all, all the things that was leading to her to ready to just put little cuts in her wrist as she had did in the past. But instead of doing that, now I'm doing this. I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing all my frustrations out. So there, there, there's a, a great, great need for poetry. And I would say every city, not just the, the ones plagued by violence. Did you read a lot of poetry when you were kids? Did you read a lot of books? Absolutely. Anomaly speaking, absolutely. Reading was just a part of who we were. That was our, our travel. You know, that was our, our television. I mean, reading was everything. It was very important to us as, as young men. Even today within our family, we're, we're both avid readers. Our, our children are avid readers. That was our joy, really finding a, a unique book and then sharing it with each other. When did you begin to write poetry? Was it something that you both began doing at the same time, or did one, one of you start and the other one take it up? How did that come about? Al speaking, it honestly just came about. I mean, it was, it was gradual. We really can't say when it exactly began. We had the little mom and dad birthday cards that we would kind of do, and our uncle and aunt and mother would have us writing, okay, well, what does this poem mean to you? And, and, and you write what it means to you, okay? You write your own poem, you know, that kind of thing. So we really don't know. I mean, once it started to take off and, and blossom into something special, uh, around middle school, we knew we had a gift that separated us from the rest of the students. Then we, I mean, that summer between seventh and eighth grade, it was light and day. It was like when we went back to school, we knew we were artists, you know? It was like, oh no, we have a gift. The teachers really didn't believe that we wrote these poems. It was like, no, we did. My mom would write you a letter to prove that I wrote it, that kind of thing. <laughs> and we knew we, we were blessed. Did something special happen that year, or was it just a magical summer? Anomaly speaking, it, it really was just the environment, the experiences we had. A lot of our summers, we spent traveling with our grandmother, visiting uh, different family members from you know North Carolina to Michigan and, and Pittsburgh and, and all around. So a lot of it was traveling. And then, of course, we're, we're in the car. So we're, we spent a lot of time writing. And, and it, it just gave us that opportunity to hone in on, on what we wanted to say. And, and we were, were each other's eyes and, and ears. My brother would, would share something with me. And, and it would just always inspires me to want to write. So we had that constant fuel for each other, you know, and still sharpening steel. And we, we really began to develop our, our craft. There's a poem that you wrote called Why I Write. Yes. Is that one that you can do for us now? Sure, very much so. Okay, tell me a little bit about where this came from. Uh, just the, the process of really thinking about why we write. Brother and I were in the midst of a writing group working with children, and our writing exercise that day with the children was, was why do you write? And as always, we participate in the same writing activities with the students. So this is how that poem began and where we clarified our position about why we write. Why I write. I write for the youth and who never had a chance to just lie in the grass and look up at the clouds. For the ones that hide on the inside when teachers ask for volunteers to read out loud. I write for the ones that never even looked up at the clouds without I'm expecting to feel rain. I write for little girls that must double dutch their blood stains and don't know their father's names. I write to show the youth that it's far more important things for them to think and talk about besides the beef between 50 and game and when old Jordan's just coming out. 
I write to give a voice to the everyday beautiful things like birds flying south or leaves changing colors to get, get overlooked. I write for the fiends out there to throw out they, they never get, get hooked. I write for all the nephews out there to know the pain of seeing their favorite uncle go from being one of the coolest cats on earth to just a junkie, junkie always begging for change. change. I write for relatives that can't relate to one another, for little girls who are looking for love and found themselves teen mothers. I write for the circle of poverty that never ends in the PJs and for grown men that prey on young girls these days. I write for the beautiful artists, the talented poets, singers, and scholars whose talent warrants up athletes' dollars. I write because a man with a ball in his hand has never been, been a threat. threat. That's why Kobe and KD can cash million-dollar checks. I write for jail cells to get filled before for the prisons, prisons are even built. built. I write for those who see prisons as businesses and wardens as CEOs. Those who think, let's build, build these prisons, prisons fill these prisons, prisons and see how many people they can hold. I write for parents that don't have good parenting skills, like the ones that buy outfits rather than paying bills. I write because God's thoughts enter my mind in the form of rhyme, and my mind's rhyme to the confines of some grimy urban places. places. Some never, never which been seen, seen by their faces. faces. Or when I address the fact that so many black teens never seen their father's faces, they, they label, label me racist, so I write. I write to share my love affair words with the children because God is on my tongue and the world is in need of healing. I write because the children didn't understand the death behind the deaths of Big and Pop. I write because there's no more room at all for rest in peace, man, mans, and mookies on my block. I write for all the mothers that had their children killed by guns. I write for all the I love you's the fathers never said to their sons. So, so I, I write. That's wonderful. Thank you. That is some poem. I read it before I spoke with you, but and, and I thought it was great, but it doesn't compare with listening to you too. <laughs> Thank um, you. Appreciate speak it. it. That that's wonderful. I'd like to talk, if you don't mind, a little bit about how you collaborate. Do you write together? How does it work? This anomaly speaking is uh, a lot of our, our writing processes. We start with the title and build the poem around the title. So normally, one of us would have an ideal and, and we would share and then we would write a part and then the my brother would write a part and we would come together and, and, and work it out. So maybe some of the poem that, that he created actually is, is, is a part of the poem that I'm reciting and a part of the poem that he wrote I, I'll have. So it's a, it's a shared work. So we try to mesh each other's work to the point where it feels comfortable in, in a performance poem for us. You build your voices together so beautifully. I mean, it, it really is like a chorus, and yet each is individual. That's really something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's Al speaking. That, that's truly what we feel. That's, that is the uniqueness of the Twin Poets. That's the, the gift. That's that us being together every minute, but except for the first two. That's, that's that bond where we can just complete each other's sentences. And, and oftentimes, as Namdi said, when, when we have the writing process, then he'll send a title and say, okay, this is that. And I would already have something already in my journal for that. Like, I, I was thinking about that like a month ago, you know, that kind of thing. Do you find, especially with boys, teenage boys, where there's this toughness that kids feel like they really have to show, do you find that you have to overcome a resistance to poetry? Al speaking, unfortunately, it's... Uh just a part of the, the society right now and a part of the, the music, the culture that, you know, this, this hip hop culture that they have to show this toughness. But I think we're able to get around that by showing them that we're men, we're in our community. You know, we, we love some of the hip hop, but once we strip it down, this is just a poem. This guy did the same thing that you're about to do right now. He's about to put a pen to a piece of paper and write his thoughts down. So once we're able to get them to learn how to express themselves, because 
the majority of them love rap music. So once you get them to understand that, that rap and poetry are, are related, you know, they're, they're first cousins. You can't have one without the other. You know, it's, no, they're, they're, they're his family. So and get them to understand that the rap is poetry and make that connection for them and, and say a few lines of, of some artists that they respect that are poetic and then get them to see, you know, it, this is all poetry. You really like poetry. You just haven't been exposed to it. You don't know that it's called poetry. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. You call it this, you call it that, but it, yes. it's, it's all poetry. And, and definitely, I would say we, we try to strip it down and, and show our children. I mean, what, the, what is, I mean, hip hop is an art. Really, it's just a poem on a piece of paper. And you, you have that same art in you. You could, could create the same stuff that, that he's saying in the reverse if you don't like his message, you know? Absolutely. And I'm speaking. And, and just to, to add that bit of, of clarity to that point in, in saying to the youth and understanding that the power that they have in their own message, that what you just created on this sheet of paper is no less valuable than this song that, that such and such made that sold a million copies. What your, your voice is just as powerful and you just have to believe in that. You have to have that same confidence as what we say to our children and what you're right. You have to believe in yourself. And, and art is a way in which we truly believe that instills that self-pride and community pride. And, and, and your is truly empowering when our children believe that they, they understand the transformative powers of art and how arts can change not only their lives, but their families' lives and in their community. Definitely. And, and in the classroom as well. I mean, I, I, I spoke a little earlier. I'm sorry, this is Al, about what it did to us you know that when we went back to school in middle school and it was how we we knew we were artists and it empowered us you know we felt different it it empowered us and that in turn made us better students as well so and i i think that's what we want to pass on to the children right now that same empowerment that they can give them as well can we have another poem from you um certainly yes yeah. all right and this is one of our favorite poems and the, the poem that we did on um, HBO, Deaf Poetry, and it's entitled Dreams Are Illegal. And we often start with our, our poems with a title. So one day we were talking to the children and we were going around the room and we were asking the kids, what do they want to be when they grow up? And they were saying these beautiful answers and, you know, doctors and dentists and lawyers and teachers. And and it was one young lady in the front and she was being real negative. And she, every time one of the classmates would say, oh, I want to do this, she would say, oh, you can't do that. Oh, you won't be a doctor. You can't even read. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. And Namdi said to her, dreams are not illegal. They can be anything they like to be. And then from that statement, we, we, we took that and that became the title for, for this poem from that statement. Dreams are illegal. I heard that dreams are illegal. Girl, you're not going to be a doctor. I heard that dreams are illegal. Boy, you're not going to be a lawyer. I heard that dreams are illegal, but I am dreaming. Don't, don't you know that dreams are illegal? I heard that dreams you know are that illegal, dreams but are I illegal, but I am, am dreaming. I had a dream. I had a dream. I was in America. In America. And I was actually in the land of the free and the home of the brave. My boss came into my office and said, hi, Bob, how's, how's it going? going? Why don't you take off early and here's that rage? And as I pulled my suburban up to my suburban home, I got the mail out the box. So I was approved for another home equity loan. Great. The Girl Scouts are there ringing a the bell with cookies to sell. Ding dong. Of course, I brought a box and Hillary, Hillary quieted down Marmaduke Club again to bark. And then later on, my wife and the kids took a bike ride to the park. When we returned, we had apple pie with ice cream on top. And then we buckled up and headed on down to the Red Box to get some videos DVDs to watch. watch. When we returned, the kids were in their PJs and relaxing in the den for some family time watching, watching videos. videos. The only strangers turned and said to me, what are you doing here? Don't you know that dreams, dreams are illegal? illegal? What, what are you, you doing, doing here? Don't, don't you know, know that, that dreams, dreams are illegal? Pow, pow, pow. Gunshots. Gunshots ring in the heat of the night, followed by screams. screams. Violently disrupted my dreams. 
You see, in my neighborhood, I don't need to read the paper or watch the news to notice something bad happened around here tonight. But once the ambulance leave and the police sirens stop and the crowd disperses that silence, that silence soaks into my soul, sobering my senses, and it's often over-intoxicating society, and I, I try to relax. I try to relax, but the devil just won't let go. He keeps pointing to the signs that are posted all around me that read dreams are illegal. See, my neighborhood is the bottom of the borough where drugs get mixed. Here there are no brothers and sisters, just, just confused, confused brothers and sisters. Here people drown in the backwash of the latest political, political scandal. scandal. Here the devil is in sweet control as, as dreams, dreams are stolen. stolen. You know there is no honor amongst thieves, so, so dreams are stolen, stolen with ease. A high school graduate, barely 17, gives up her college dreams for a pair of tight jeans and a chance to be the next inner city queen. In her inner city, checks and basketballs bounce with regularity. Life and death in, in a mix, mix with, with no disparity. Some children live, live for nothing, nothing and some children die for nothing. Every day, blue skies are gray. All they know is that they want to make dough. The devil has them chasing the colorless rainbow. And at the end, there is no pot of gold, it's just a pot of steam, which, which he exchanges for their dreams. dreams. You see, bona fide slaves are made in the devil's dream trade. Without, Without dreams, you're equivalent to being non-existent. You see, our children, our children need to be told they can achieve and that God bless those who hold on to their dreams. We have to take down a sign so the kids won't know that the devil is trying to make dreams, not not drugs, but he's trying to make dreams illegal, but dreams are not illegal. Thank you. Wow, that's wonderful. Your, your poetry, your art, and your work in the community are so intertwined that... As you say, who, who are you writing for and why I write? It's for the people that you deal with every single day. Anamdi, no no question. It's, it's one and the same. I mean, it's Alan and it's, it's Anamdi. You know, it's our, our poetry. It's our social work. You know, one of our books is entitled Our Work and Our Words. I mean, they go hand in hand, our work and our words. One fuels the other. Our work every day encourages us and inspires us to write. And, it, and it's, it's our art that inspires our social work so we can do something about the issues within our community that we write about. They go hand in hand. I mean, they're our bread and our water. Yeah, you get energy from one to do the other and, and vice versa. Yes. You're the Twin Poets Laureate of Delaware. Tell me what that position entails and what would you like to make of it? Anomaly speaking, to, to advocate for poetry and, and to advocate for the arts and literature and writing. I mean, write poems for state events, to visit schools, libraries, to promote poetry. My brother and I, we have our own uh, platform, our issues that are, are core to our service as poet laureates. We want to visit every school in Delaware. We want to visit our, our, our library systems. We also want to visit the juvenile detention centers and, and adult correction facilities and to, to share our work and also to work with the, the VA for the veterans who are suffering from PTSD. Oh yeah, the arts are so important for all of these people, especially when we see arts having been cut so much in schools. You as poet laureates and speaking to the schools would seem to have you know, an extra significance because I bet for some kids, this is gonna be the first time they ever look at a poet. Yes, Al speaking, yes, very much so. And, it, and it, it's unfortunately, and it's, it's not the good old days. It's not the school system that we were in. Some of these kids have never been to an art class. They don't have an art teacher, so they, they, don't, they don't know this. Poetry is just something they do during the English time every now and then. And I'm the, you know, I guess to, to add insult to injury, not only is art missing from their schooling, but also within many of their homes and in their communities. So they have a almost an artless existence. So 
exposing them to poetry and spoken word and other forms of art is so rewarding. It's, it frees them in a way because it, it gives them exposure to things they've never seen, gives them the opportunity to to travel, gives them the opportunity to, to venture within themselves and to bring something out. Many of them have never had that opportunity before. You started a nonprofit called Art for Life Delaware. Can you tell me just a little bit about it? I love the title. Anamdi speaking, Art for Life is our youth development through the arts. And I mean, it's currently focused on giving youth the opportunity to be exposed and to participate in the arts, in all forms of arts. Uh, so based in, in the community and in youth development, both of our backgrounds working with youth and then using our art form as the way in which we guide youth along the development path. And the more you expose them to how art isn't in their life, the more they begin to realize that art is all around them every single day. Rather, it's photography or rather it's, it's, it's design or designing clothes. Art is in your life every single day and in so many facets. And when they begin to, 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 to realize that, their lives change because they realize that art is very important. And once we can get them, I'm sorry, Al speaking, get them to understand that. I mean, that it, it, it's a reason, you know. It's a reason that you guys are listening to this music. It's a reason that this video is done this way. It's, it's, it's a reason that you, your neighborhood is, is full of Newport signs and all these liquor stores. So it's, it's a reason. So we get them to think and, and look and to begin able to question their own existence. I think that's the power of art. I'd like to close with a poem. This is one of our poems in which we try to ensure that our children have the opportunity to, to smile. And we show them how art can, can remove all of their burdens and just give them that opportunity to, to smile and, and enjoy life. And it's called The Science of, of Love and War. There's a girl in my science class. She makes my heart stop whenever she walks past. Believe me, she's the reason that lip gloss was made. Together we can be the Beyonce and Jay-Z of the fifth grade. But there's just one small problem. And time after time, my mind keeps reminding me of this. She doesn't even know you exist. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm just trying to take it slow. And my mind is always giving me hints and suggestions of things that I should do in order to make her mine. Y you can buy her flowers and candy. Yeah, girls love candy. Okay, 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 I say. Now one day I'm in science class and I'm daydreaming about you, you know who. When out of the blue, she steps up and asks if she can borrow a pen. You would have thought she asked me out for a date because I couldn't move. I was frozen in place. My mind said, sure. Then nervously, I knocked my pencil box to the floor and I picked it up and I gave her my favorite pen. My, my SpongeBob, SpongeBob pen. pen. She said, ooh, ooh, I love SpongeBob. My mind said, say me too, say me too. But I didn't. I just let her walk away. And at the end of the day, my mind said, go talk to her. Well, at least go get your pen back, stupid. I said, see, that's my new strategy. As long as she has that pen, she'll always have a part of me. My mind said, you're an idiot. You got to change your methods. At this rate, she'll never get the message. And from that point on, besides eating and sleeping, me and my mind spent most of our time trying to figure out ways to make her mind. My mind said, look, it's as easy as one, two, three. You know what? You're right. You're right. I just step up and ask her to go out with me. Now, every day, my mind says, Today's the day. But day after day, I keep putting it off. And I have to keep reminding my mind, Look here, buddy, I'm still the boss. My mind sets up what he calls the perfect moment, the, the golden, golden opportunity. opportunity. And everything went smooth until moment execution. My mind starts screaming. My mind screams, Just do it. Just do it. I'm like, Will you please just shut up, stupid? 
She turns around and says, I know you're not talking to me. Oh, 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 no, I was talking to myself, I said. Oh, great. Now she thinks I'm a cuckoo who talks to the voices in his head. Thanks a lot. Thanks for nothing, I said. My mind said, get ready, champ. Here she comes again. I open my mouth, but, 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 but no words come out. My mind says, come on, you can do it. You can do it. But I have butterflies inside and my legs have turned to fluid. My mind says, oh, you blew it. You know what? I'm tired of fighting this war. So now I'm in love with someone else because I realized that my mind didn't want the girl for me. He wanted her for himself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Congratulations you. to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I really look so forward to what you're going to be doing in the coming year. Oh, Truly. Thank Appreciate you. it. We were talking to twin poets Albert Mills and Anamdi Chukwocha. They are the current Poets Laureate of the state of Delaware. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.